This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Morning, everyone. I'm very humbled and honored to be able to stand before you and share the Word of God today and share some things that's on my heart. Uh, Pastor Derek is uh, preaching at Remedy Church this morning, and, uh, and just trust God's blessing upon him. But I'm going to share a message that's going to entitled, Hearing God's Voice for Your Family. Hearing God's Voice for Your Family. And we're going to continue on in the whole the concept of the voice, the series that Pastor has started a couple weeks ago. But before I get going, let's, start, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you in advance for all that you're going to do here today. Lord, we just invite your presence just to prepare our hearts to receive all that you have for us. I ask, Lord, that you would anoint my tongue to bring forth this word with clarity and understanding, a word that will bring hope and encouragement, and, Father, a word that will bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to camp there, but before we get there, I just want to set this up a little bit. From studying the scriptures, I, I see that the family unit is at the very heart of God. God is just very and passionate about the family unit. And, you know, I cannot imagine a more horrible fault of, of spending eternity without my family. And uh, when I moved here, I, I, got, I became a Christian in 1976. And when I, I grew up in West Virginia, when I left West Virginia, um, God, had, God had done such a, tra- uh, um, a transformation in my heart and my life. Uh, I, got, I became a Christian in February of 1976. And and I grew up in a small county called Hampshire County, West Virginia. It's a county of about 10,000 people, so everybody knew everybody. In West Virginia, if you ask people where they're from, they always tell you what the county is and not the city because it's, just, it's so small. But because of that, because the county was so small, everyone knew everybody's business pretty much. And, and growing up in a very small area, people knew that I came from an extremely dysfunctional family. And nothing, nothing to brag about, but just, just I want to share just the glory of God, what God has done in my life. I grew up, uh, my first experience of indoor plumbing and running water was when I moved to Oshkosh, Wisconsin in 1976. I didn't have running water or indoor plumbing. We grew up with cold, wood heat. I grew up in real poverty. And, 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 and so my, my salvation experience was so dramatic that I was getting invitations. This was in February. By April, I was getting invitations to speak at several different churches in, in throughout the state because of what had happened in my life. And because of that, because I was so passionate about what God had done in my life, I was, I was telling everything, t- telling everybody about it. In fact, I think when you first become a Christian, they should lock you up for six months and then let you out. <laughs> because I, you know, if it didn't move, I'd pump it up long enough to preach to it. I would, I would just, people see me, they cross the street because... I was so excited about what happened. I had lived a life of, of, of self-destruction. I didn't care if I lived or died. I was so angry and bitter at God that I actually I wanted to die because I had a few questions that needed answered, and I wasn't getting answered down here. And so I did all these things that would, that would, that would just drive my behavior that looked like this guy is not going to last very long. But when God got a hold of my heart, one of the things I was really concerned about, if I moved to Wisconsin, how would I share the gospel message with my family? I wanted my family to encounter and experience the peace and the joy that I now had in my own heart and life. But how are they going to hear if I'm up here? And as I was praying that prayer and asking that question, God spoke to my heart and he said this. He says, Andy, if you will trust me, 
and you will obey me, I will take care of your family. I will save your family if you will just trust me. So one week after graduation of high school, I moved to Wisconsin. And I had, one, I had a friend that wasn't a Christian, but he was, he was a point of contact. He said, Andy, why don't you come out and visit Wisconsin and check out the schools up here? And lo and behold, you know, look at hindsight now, 2020, I've been here almost 40 years uh, in Wisconsin. And, and God has just done amazing things in my own life. Taking someone that was very impoverished, someone that had no direction, had no sense of purpose, and gave and began to bless whatever I put my hands to and began to bless me with good, healthy friends and good relationships and began to just bless my life in every area. And God has honored his word. I remember I had a brother that when I came up here, he was a year younger than me. His name was Greg. Greg was born with a kidney disease. And when, at five years of age, they told Greg that you weren't going to live to be six. And Greg said, well, why should I go to school if I'm going to die? I mean, that was just his reasoning. Why should I go to school if I'm, if I'm not going to be in a, grow up to adulthood? Well, Greg actually did live to be 20. But six months before he died, I remember I got the phone call in my dorm room at, at Oshkosh. And he said, Andy, he goes, I'm just tired. Trans, his, his transplant had fallen through and, and different things had happened. And he just he goes, I'm just tired. I, I don't want to live this life anymore. I want to go home and be with Jesus. I want to let you know I gave my heart to Jesus. Six months later, he died. And so as I begin to study the word, I said, God, I, I, I just, I know that you're a gracious God. And, and I just really need to be able to, to be able to embrace my faith to something. And so God directed me to a couple of scriptures I'm going to share with you. They're not in your notes, but in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, the Bible says this, If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he will grant us our petition. When I look at this, what I, what I see is that if I pray something according to God's will, if I get God's ear, he says, I will do this for you. I will answer your prayer if I hear you. The only thing greater than our faith is God's will. So when we begin to pray, we need to ascertain what is God's will in this matter. Well, his word is his will. So I begin to look in his word. And I saw in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, God says, I am not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God says, I'm not willing that any would perish. I want all to come to repentance. So then I looked, so I looked at Acts 16, I'm gonna, and look, look with me to verse 30 give you the context here. This, the background is the Philippian jailer. Paul and Silas had been arrested for their faith, and Paul and Silas were singing at midnight praises to God. And, and then the Philippian jailer is hearing this. And so at verse 30, he says, he says, and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And look at verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your house. You see, what this says to me is that many times we stop at the verses, you shall believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But then he says, and your house. Now, does that mean that your household is automatically saved? No. We all have to enter in. We all have to have a, enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's what this does mean. It means that because I am saved, I now have a covenant right to stand in the gap in behalf of my loved ones and watch God change their hearts. Because I can function now as a priest and, and, and intercessor for my family. I have a covenant relationship with God. I'm in a position to where I can trust God to move on my behalf. The problem is, I've got to get out of the way. 
I had to come to a realization that I'm not the Holy Spirit and that I, that I ended up screwing things up more than helping. God doesn't need my help. He just needs my, my prayers and needs me to get out of the way and for me to live a life that's consistent. So many times we hear what it means to be a Christian, but very, little, but very few of us live it. We need to be living epistles. We need to be consistent in our faith before God. And as we continue to live our lives that brings honor and glory to God, the Holy Spirit then begins to woo the hearts of the people. Let me share with you a couple passages that I thought would really tie this up. In Genesis chapter 7, verse 1, listen to this. Genesis 7, verse 1, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because, listen to this, because I have seen that you, Noah, are a righteous man, before me in this generation. Then in Hebrews eleven seven, it says the same thing. Hebrews 11, verse 7, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. You see, I, what I see here, Bible, Bible refers to Jesus as being our ark. Our ark, of, our ark of safety. And I, what I see here, because of Noah's faith, because of Noah's righteousness, because of Noah's relationship with God, he says, because of that, Noah, I will enable you to prepare an ark to the saving of your household. Yes, they've got to enter in. It's their responsibility. The ark, the provision is made, but they have to respond to that. But the point is, because of your righteousness and your obedience, I'm going to enable you to prepare a, an ark for the saving of your household. And because he was considered righteous in his nation, people began to see the, the right standing he had with God, and, it began, and the Holy Spirit began to woo the heart. So when, so when judgment came upon the earth through the flood, everyone perished except for Noah and his household. Now, another example, in Joshua chapter 2, most of us have heard the story of Rahab the harlot. Well, the two Israel spies come into the land, and, Rah- and they enter into Rahab the harlot's home, and she takes them in, and then then hides them from the citizens of Jericho to protect them. And so as the spies begin to leave to go back to Israel to give their report of what, of what is in Jericho, Rahab grabs them and says this. He says, she says, Sirs, when, you, when your people come into the land to take it and to destroy it, remember me and my house. And the instructions that they gave them was this. says, Rahab, you, you take the scarlet thread and you hang it from the window seal. And when we come in to take the city, everyone that is in your house, and when we see the scarlet thread, everyone that is in your house, of your household, will be spared. You see, because of her obedience, because of her right standing with God, provision was made for the saving of her household. But they had to enter in. See, it wasn't automatic. They had to enter in. And also, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 3, it talks about the sacrificial lamb being offered at Passover. The Bible says there was always one lamb for each house. And Jesus is our lamb that was given for me and my house. What I'm saying here, what I'm setting this up to say is this. If you will continue to trust God, and I'm going to give you some some nuggets that you can use, some tools, some strategy that you can incorporate in praying for your family. I thought this would be so appropriate because we're entering into the Thanksgiving and and the Christmas season, the holiday season. There's going to be a lot of you traveling, visiting with loved ones and and family. So I wanted to equip you how to pray and minister effectively to your family and watch God change their hearts. 
You see, the point is that provision is made because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. I am now in a covenant relationship. I have a standing of an intercessor and a priest of my household, and I can begin to watch God move on their behalf. Point is, I've got to get out of the way. We've got to get out of the way and allow God to be God. We need to let go and let God, right? See, when I, when I say I'm going to let go, it doesn't mean, doesn't mean I don't care. It just means I can't fix your problem. I have to let God do that. And, if I, and I'm much more effective by praying and releasing and allowing God. Because what happens a lot of times, we get so, so excited about our changed lives that we become almost obnoxious. We're walking in telling people you shouldn't watch this, you should take that off your walls, and you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't say that, and you shouldn't go there. And people say, man, if that's God, I don't want any of that stuff. These guys are crazy. And I've been accused of that. I've resembled that many years. Until God finally says, just slow down. Let me take care of these things. Let me be God. You just simply pray and trust me. When I, when I, um, I share, I've shared this story before, but I'm going to share it again. It just bears repeating in context of what I'm sharing. Not many men in my family lived to be past 50. It was almost like a curse upon the Shanholtz family. My brother Greg died at the age of 20. Um, and, and there were 13 brothers and sisters in my dad's family, and almost every one of them except for, I think, two men lived past 50. And then so I, when I came, one year I remember I was going back home, and I had sent this, I had given this Bible, and I left Wisconsin, I gave this Bible, this was my first Bible. And I gave it to my dad. I said, Dad, I want you to read this Bible. Just, I want you to read the Bible. When I come home, we'll talk about it, but I want you to read it. I remember his birthday was December 13th. I sent him, a, sent him his birthday card to a wonderful dad. And I gave him this Bible. And I remember he, I woke up. He lived in a trailer. I remember wake, uh, waking up, and I see him sitting at the kitchen table drinking a cup of coffee and reading the Bible I had given him. So I got up. We sat and talked a little bit. And I said, Dad, I said, the Bible says... We, you have to forgive mom for what she did. He says, son, I can never forgive your mother for what she did to you and what she did to all of us. See, what happened, my dad was disabled at the age of 42. He worked in a sand mine. He had silicosis. He was not able to work anymore. But in the meantime, when I was 13, my mother decided she didn't want to be married to my dad anymore. She left the family and ran off with his brother. Not only was it bad enough that my mother left us, but she, she ran off with my dad's brother and almost killed him. My dad began to drink heavily to medicate the pain in his life. And that's why he says, he says, Andy, I cannot forgive your mother for what she did. She has destroyed you, the kids, and me. Because I, I just can't do that. I say, I know, Dad, you can't. But the grace of God can give you the ability to... You see, friends, the Bible says that when we are at our worst, God committed his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Because we couldn't save ourselves. We couldn't get ourselves out of this mess. But if we ask for the grace of God, God will help you. So I fly back to Wisconsin. And I propose to Gene, uh, January 18th. I'm, like most guys, you probably don't, most women are probably impressed that I remember the date that I proposed. Because most guys don't have a clue after the, after the next day. What did I just do? <laughs> I proposed to Gene and, and, and I called my dad and said, Dad, hey. I'm getting married. God has blessed me with a wonderful woman. I'm going to be getting married. And I'd like for you to come up for the wedding. We're getting married in July. He's a son I'd love to. That'd be great. Dad died in February. And when he died, 
it really crushed my heart because my dad was my hero because I was the oldest of five kids and my responsibility was taking care of the family. I had become a, a surrogate mother to my siblings growing up. And I took care of my kids and to the point to where I couldn't do it anymore and we were placed into foster care. It's been a couple of years in foster care. Got out of that, uh, got reconciled back with my dad. And, but when I went, my dad had passed away, so I had gone home and I said, the only thing I want is the Bible I gave my dad. That's the only thing I want. So I, I received the Bible back. Several months passed. And I had been praying to God. I just believe that somehow, some way, you granted my dad repentance and gave him the ability to forgive my mother. I opened the Bible and I started to thumb. I saw he had put the birthday card I gave him in the back. And next to that, he wrote, Lord, forgive Bertha for what she's done. He had written in the back of the Bible that he had forgiven my mother for all the pain that she had caused him. This is a very valuable possession of mine, is, is knowing. But more than that, I had the assurance that my dad was with Jesus Christ and that there would be a great reunion one day, that I'd be able to see him again and see Greg again as well. So let me share with you some strategies that, that you can utilize, that you can incorporate to be able to trust God to save your family. The first thing we have to do is pray every day for your unsaved family members. Pray every day. And Acts 16, verse 16, it says, Now it happened as they went to prayer. Everything begins with prayer. We have to get out of the way and allow God to intervene and work on the behalf. How do we pray for our lost family members? Well, the Bible says in Matthew 16, 19, that we have, the, we have the, what's called the prayer of binding and loosing. We can begin to bind the work of the enemy. So you, can't, you don't have the power and the influence over another person's will but you have power over the devil. The Bible says Jesus gave all of us delegated authority over the power and works of the devil. So we can utilize that authority and that power that has been delegated to us by binding the influence of the enemy in the lives of your loved ones. In fact, the original Greek says, whatever you declare improper and unlawful upon the earth shall be declared improper and unlawful in heaven as well. And so, so when I would begin to pray, set, set out to pray for my family, I begin, I begin to pray in a manner such as this. Holy Spirit, I, I, t- I take authority over the works, the deceiving works of the enemy over the, over the influence of my family. I pray that the eyes of their understanding would be open, that when they hear the word of God, their ears would be open, that they'll begin to hear truth, and the truth will indeed set them free. Devil, you have no more effect upon them. In fact, I begin to pray for, for my, my brothers, some of, their, some of his best friends. He lived here in Sheboygan, and before he passed, and I'll share his story in just a moment, but before he passed, his friends started becoming Christians, started coming to church. God began to work in their hearts. But we have to begin to take authority over the works of the enemy over our loved ones and begin to pray, not try to manipulate or manufacture the outcome, but begin to pray and begin to ask God to show himself faithful and strong on the behalf of saving your family. He saved you. He can save them as well if we just get out of the way. Pray that God would begin to woo them by the working of his Holy Spirit within their hearts and begin to turn the hearts. See, the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, while there was absolutely no good within us, God saved you. He gave himself for you while you were at your lowest. See, there's nothing you can do to earn his favor. There's nothing you can do to manufacture that outcome. It's simply yielding to the wooing work of the Holy Spirit within your heart. And as he begins to tug at your heart, you say, Lord, I've made a mess of my life. I am simply giving it to you. And I ask that you take control of my life. 
Am I perfect? No, I'm not perfect by any means, but I know in whom I have believed, and I'm fully persuaded that which I've committed to him, he will keep it until the end. I've simply given my life over to him and allowed him to use me for his glory. The second thing you need to do is stand strong against Satan. Expect demonic opposition. We are in a warfare. We are in a battle. And Acts 16, verse 16 through 18 says, We were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her, own, her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you by the way to be saved. She kept us up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. There's a couple of verses that I want to show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 3 through 4, 2 Corinthians. It talks about how the devil is the god of this age and how he is a mind blinder. 2 Corinthians 4. If you're taking notes, you want to write that verse down. Then also along with that, you want to look, write down Luke chapter 8, verse 12. I'm going to show those to you. And first, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So we see here that the God of this world blinds the minds of people. He blinds the minds to prevent you from receiving truth. But see, friends, you have power and authority over the mind blinder, not over, the, not over somebody else's will. But you can begin to say, I take authority over the mind blinder that he's not going to be able to blind their minds to the truth. That when they hear the truth, it's going to permeate their heart and penetrate it deeply, creating the, the, the life that you so desire. And so when you begin to take authority over the mind blinder, the Bible says God sent his word to heal and to deliver his people from destruction. So as you begin to pray, he says, Father, I pray that the word preached will, will penetrate their hearts and begin to birth new life within them, and it will produce the fruit that you so desire. Now look to Luke 8, verse 12. Luke 8, verse 12 says this. It says, those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and, take away, that the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. You see, friends, when I begin to pray, I pray that whatever exposure they have to the hearing of the word, that that word is going to penetrate their heart. It, that's why it doesn't matter what church you go to. If the word of God is being voiced, it's the word that works in them effectively to believe. It's the word. And the Holy Spirit will take that word and he will begin to cause it to germinate within the hearts. They don't have to, they don't have to dot their eyes or cross their T's the way I do. They don't have to pray the prayers that I pray. They hear the word, and the Holy Spirit begins to penetrate their hearts with the word. And the word is what gives life. There's a living word. And that word will cause people to be transformed. I've seen people get saved by watching football games. Remember we used to hold up the signs, John 3, 16, and Romans 10, 9? I had people ask me, what does that say? I begin to quote what it said. And God used that to begin to change and mold their hearts. It's the word. It's not what I say or how I say it. It's the word of God, regardless of how it's being read or proclaimed. It's the word that begins to bring about change. And the Bible says that we need to pray that the enemy cannot steal the word out of their heart unless they believe and are saved. So I just simply pray, God, whenever they hear the word, the devil cannot steal that word out of their heart. 
that word will penetrate. It will, it will germinate within their heart, and they will be saved. You see the power and authority that you have? We're praying from a position of victory and not trying to get the victory. You see, we're praying from a position of authority. We know in whom we have believed. And when we, and when we commit these things to him, God says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. And so we begin to pray, Holy Spirit, do a work within their hearts. I can't do that, but Holy Spirit, you can. The third nugget is expect an uproar in your family. Expect an uproar in your family. My family didn't even want to see me after I, after I got saved because I was so obnoxious in my faith. But you know, you would think it would be excited because you're no longer taking drugs, no longer drinking, you're no longer doing things that get you in trouble. But yet, you're unfamiliar to them now. You were predictable before, but now you're not. And the point is, friends, don't expect your family always to be excited about the things of God as you are. You have to continue to pray and ask God to, first of all, bring stability in your own life (laughs) and a balance that's that's not driving people away. But ask God to do something in your life, but also to, to not try to over-preach everybody. You can't argue and debate people into the faith. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to quit arguing with people. You just need to live it. And then when people ask the question, answer them. You don't need a theological dissertation to get into the Greek and the Hebrew and the culture and the customs. That's my job. <laughs> but just simply tell your story. Not everyone's going to agree with your theology, but they can't argue with your story. God has saved me, has changed me. And he took me from a path of pure destruction and gave me new life. That's my story. And when God can change me and begin to work change in your life as well, that's a testimony to other people, friends. You don't need to browbeat anybody with the word of God. Just love people. Love people. And allow God to change them. Pray for them. And Acts 16, 19 says, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing the city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. So you see, friends, there caused quite an uproar within their community because of the faith they were now sharing. The fourth thing is you have to create an environment of worship to build your boldness. <coughs> create an environment of worship to build your boldness. In verse 25 of Acts 16, it says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. You think they had a choice? <laughs> they're, all, they're all incarcerated. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations for the prison were shaken. You see, friends, that this whole context here of Acts 16, the Philippian jailer had heard Paul and Silas preaching. They had seen the turmoil, the uproar within the community, but yet they saw something in Paul and Silas that piqued his attention. Here these guys were beaten and stripped naked and then then put into shackles and, and, and put into prison. And here at midnight, they're starting to sing songs of praise unto God. You see, because they saw their their position here not as punishment, but as a divine opportunity. Because, you see, they believe that God ordered their steps. They believe that nothing took God by surprise. That if I'm here, I'm here because God has something for me to do. And so they decided, I'm just going to sing praises unto God. 
And as they begin to sing praises unto God, the Bible says there's an earthquake and the place begins to shake. And a Philippian jailer in custom, if, the, if any prisoners escaped, the jailer himself was killed in place of the prisoners that escaped. So the prisoner, as, as he comes in, Paul says, no, we're all still here. He says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And he says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your house. Isn't that exciting? So he had to create this environment of worship because see, spiritual worship is a strong force in evangelism. Worship is a critical ingredient to unleashing the power and the purpose of the Lord in our lives. So we have to create. See, worship is not just singing songs. Worship is an expression of my heart, of an attitude that I possess, of, I, of, of, of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I know the value that it was ascribed to me to the, to the price of Christ giving himself for me as my substitute. And knowing the ultimate price and sacrifice that was paid for me creates an attitude of worship, that which I ascribe value to, that which I ascribe worship to, worthyship. That's the old English word for worship. What do I ascribe value to? And as I begin to have this life of attitude, of expression, of this worship attitude, because, I, because friends, there are many things that happen in my life that I don't like. I know all of us have been there. There are a lot of things, a lot of circumstances, a lot of things we go through we don't like. But one thing I've learned is that God has never left me. He has never forsaken me. When life doesn't make sense, I still have grace. And when I have grace, that means I can trust God to see me through from the beginning to the end because God sees the end from the beginning. And if I will keep my eyes fixed on him, God is not my enemy. He believes in me when I don't believe in myself because he, pray, he paid an ultimate price for my redemption. And when I begin to realize that, that creates an attitude of worship. And then finally... Number five, believe from the depths of your heart your family will come to Christ. Believe from the depths of your heart that your family will come to Christ. Again, Acts 16, 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved in your household. See, in Isaiah 49, verse 25, if you have your Bibles, this is the last verse I want to share with you. But many of you maybe have children that don't know Jesus Christ yet and you're, and you're praying for them, that they will have an experience with Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 49, verse 25, here's something you might want to write on your refrigerator or, or a piece of paper put on your refrigerator. But if you want to write on your refrigerator, it's yours, you can do that. Isaiah 49, verse 25, But thus says the Lord, Even the captive of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. Listen to this. For I, God, will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. Friends, that's a verse you want to write and put up on your wall. And the Bible says you put, that God watches over his word to perform it. And God honors his word above his very name. And you saying, God, you said that you will contend with those who contend with me, and you will save my children. I am putting you in, in remembrance of your word, and I am trusting you. God, to save my household, to save my children. One final story I'll share with you. I had a brother that, that lived here in Sheboygan. Never, didn't care for the word of God, didn't care for God. In fact, didn't even care for me. Would attack me per- periodically and try to, try to physically hurt me because of my changed life. But I continued to pray for him, begin to continue to ask God to do a work in his life. You see, what happens is every, 
every child before the age of puberty assumes 100% responsibility for all the pain that's in their life. When Jeff was nine, mom left. So his attitude, even though he wasn't conscious about this, but his, but his behavior demonstrated that it, he must be the problem because everything was fine until I came on the scene and then mom left. But Jeff, when he was about 17, he was going to be a donor for, for Greg. Greg had that kidney disease and he needed a transplant. Jeff goes to the hospital. He's prepared to give his kidney, but all of a sudden he freaks out. He can't do it. Gets off the hospital bed, leaves the hospital. A year later, Greg dies. So now he lives with this, that he's, he's the problem that mom left. He's also the problem that just killed his brother. Went through two failed marriages. You see, he had believed the lie. He had believed that he was unlovable. He had believed that he should be punished for all the pain and everything he's experienced in his life. He did not deserve to be loved. And his life was one that he medicated with drugs and alcohol to the point that alcohol killed him and the drugs killed him. Because he had believed a lie. He had believed he was incapable of having or deserving God's love. That's a lie. Because as I quoted earlier, while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, he died for us. I remember getting a phone call from St. Vincent Hospital. Your brother is not going to leave the hospital. I drive up there on a Wednesday night. And Jeff and I had started talking a little bit. He had, in fact, he had come to hear me preach periodically at the other church I was pastoring. He would come hear me. I said, Jeff, you're not leaving this hospital. It's now time to make peace with God. He allowed me to pray with him. He invited Christ into his heart. Two days later, I went back up. Jeff was already in a coma. And I remember praying, and I believe that he could hear every word I was saying. I believe the subconscious mind is alert. The subconscious mind is fully developed within the third trimester of the womb, taking in information. And so as I began to pray for Jeff, I said, Jeff, it's time to go. You have made peace with God. Dad and Greg are on the other side. They're waiting for you. There's no need to fight this anymore. It's time to go. I prayed with him, and I saw he couldn't, he couldn't communicate, but I saw two tears come down his eyes, so I knew he was hearing me. And after I got done praying, he raised his hands like this to, towards heaven, dropped his arms, and shortly entered into eternity. Jeff was 50 years old. I've broken that curse of premature death in my family. I'm 57. I act like I'm, I act like I'm 18, I know. But I don't plan. I've got a lot of energy. They call me Energizer Bunny. I've, I've got a lot of energy. I don't, I don't have time to stop. People ask, why do you drink so much coffee? I said, so my heart can keep up with me. <laughs> but you see, friends, I've shared this little bit of my story to give you hope. No one arrives to a place or a position of authority and special favor because you've done so many things for God. No, we all have grace. I have continued to trust God even when life didn't make sense. When my dad died, I had, tried, I had prayed for his healing. And I remember, I remember crying out, God, you promised 70 to 80 years of life. And my dad's only 46. I don't understand this. And God spoke to my heart in that small voice. He goes, how old was my son when he died for you? He was only 30, 33. Jesus was 33 when he died. So you can't put God in a box, friends. We need to just let God be God. Amen. Continue to trust him. And I can promise you this, friends. 
God will never, ever fail you. He will always come through. Because you see, the good thing is God sees the end from the beginning. He knows how everything's going to play out in your life even though you don't. That's where faith comes in. I've learned he's not my enemy, that he always has my best interest at heart. I continue to trust him. And God continues to promote me because I trust him. Not that I deserve it, but because I've been faithful. And he shows himself faithful to those who have shown themselves faithful to him. Amen? Amen. I hope that this has been a message of encouragement for you. As most of you know, this is my last sermon. I will be preaching here as a staff pastor. I am going to be going to Manitowoc, uh, being the lead pastor of a church in Manitowoc, Two Rivers area, starting January the 1st. Pastor Derek has already put me on the counter for next year to come back in September. So, so I must have done something good. But, um, no, you know, you guys have been great. I've loved you and appreciated you that you have uh, been a part of my family, a part of my journey. I believe we'll continue to do some things together as we go forth and impacting the kingdom of God. Amen. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.